Just before Luke comes to bring us the sermon, I'll bring today's reading. If you've got your Bibles with you, you can turn with me to John 14 from verse 1. Or feel free to follow along on the screen. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Thank you, Rowan. It's a great passage of scripture and I hope you enjoyed that video. I think it's a pretty powerful kind of a video. But you know, over the last few months, there's been one question going through my head over and over again. And it's simply been this, on the first day of a church, what on earth do you preach about? You'll be glad to know that I've come to a point of deciding what I'll share on today. And as I prayed about it, which is a good place to start, I felt like God laid on my heart that I need to talk this morning about vision and the vision that God has given us as a church. Now, for those who know me, if known me for a while, you won't be surprised by that. I'm often someone who talks a lot about the importance of vision. In fact, I think I drive people nuts sometimes talking about it so much. I think Lee and maybe Ash would probably attest to that from my time on the diaconate at Beaconsfield. But I believe it's incredibly important that we are people of vision, that we know what we're looking to and who we're looking to and where we're heading because ultimately it will shape what you do in life and who you become in life. Vision will shape every decision. It will determine your priorities. It will steer how you use your time and your energy, your passion and your finance. It will be the guide that leads you down the road of life. And so this morning I want to give you a definition of vision And the definition is this, that vision is a picture of a desirable future. Let me share some visions from some famous companies this morning that might encourage you, but they may not. Uh, The first one is the Hilton Hotels. Their vision is uh, kind of warm and fuzzy. They say that our vision is to fill the earth with the light and warmth of hospitality. It's a lovely vision, isn't it? It will cost you an arm and a leg to use their hotels but you will leave with a warm and fuzzy feeling of the light and warmth of hospitality. What about Reebok? I really was inspired by this vision this week as I read it. They say their vision is to help consumers, athletes and artists, partners and employees fulfil their true potential and reach heights they may have thought previously unreachable. I thought that was really inspiring. I thought to myself this week, perhaps I'll go and buy myself some Reebok pumps. And this Thursday at basketball, I'll be able to dunk for the very first time because that is what has always been unreachable and they're promising me that now it'll be reachable. And so Adam plays in my basketball team and he'll be very excited to know that this Thursday night I plan to dunk. Um, You'd be surprised by my immense height that I haven't dunked before. Um, But this Thursday you'll be in for a treat as you watch me soar over people and dunk the basketball. Harley-Davidson, their vision is to provide extraordinary motorcycles and customer experiences. And I'm not going to argue with that because they're all bikies. (laughs) Who incidentally I love a lot. Are we recording this this morning? I love bikies. 
Let's just make sure we've got that on the public record. What an excellent vision that is. But vision shapes where a company will head and it also shapes us as individuals and it ultimately will shape who we become as a church as well. I think perhaps because I talk a lot about vision, uh, people are expecting with a church plant that I've been a part of that there would be this big fancy pants vision with lots of big words and it would be very exciting and it would inspire the whole world. But the truth is the vision we have is much, much simpler than that. However, no less inspiring. In fact, I believe our vision is the most compelling, powerful, life-changing vision you could ever have and it's only one word. Follow Baptist Church, our vision is Jesus. And our mission is to follow Jesus in our community, church community, in our local community for his glory. Our key verse as a church is Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. And it says, if anyone would come after Jesus, they must deny themselves. They must pick up their cross and they must follow him. A friend of mine, Mark, is here this morning and during the week he sent me a quote from a book that he's reading. It's a book I've read before. It's called Crazy Love by Francis Chan. I want to read you something he says on page 80 of his book. He said, When I was in high school, I seriously considered joining the Marines. This is when they first came out with commercials for the few, the proud, the Marines. What turned me off the Marines was that in those advertisements, everyone was always running. Always. And I hate running. This is a man after my own heart right here. But you know what? I didn't bother to ask if they would modify the rules for me so I could run less or perhaps do a few less push-ups, that would have been pointless and stupid. And I knew it. Everyone knows that if you sign up for the Marines, you have to do whatever they tell you. They own you. But somehow, this realisation does not cross over to our thinking about the Christian life. Jesus didn't say that if you wanted to follow him, you could do it in a lukewarm manner. He said, take up your cross and follow me. See, Jesus calls us to sacrifice our whole life, but so often we try to give him so much less than that. But if Jesus is not the centre of all we do as a church, if he is not the focus, if he is not the vision, then we might as well pack up the chairs now, close the doors and go home. You know, when people come to follow Baptist Church, I don't want them leaving this place going, wow, what an awesome church. I want them leaving going, wow, what an awesome, incredible saviour. Jesus Christ is amazing and he is our vision. Because the truth is this, that follow Baptist Church won't actually change anyone's life. But Jesus will. And I believe as we follow him, then through us, a group of fallen, broken, sinful individuals, he would do something extraordinary in our lives And he would use us to have a huge impact in this community for eternity. And that is great, isn't it? I mean, it's so exciting. I get so uh, excited to think that God would take you and he'd take me and he would use us for an eternal purpose. There's nothing greater than that. There's no greater mission. There's no greater vision than Jesus Christ. That's why we exist, to follow Jesus and to lift him up in the officer region and beyond. You know, a few weeks ago, a friend of mine was running a competition on Facebook. Um, the competition was called The Five Worst Church Names in Melbourne. I don't know if it was a, a, good church, a good competition, but it was a competition nonetheless. 
And so each day he was uh, releasing a new name of a different church, uh, trying to find the worst church name in Melbourne. And it got to day three and he named the church for that particular day, which I won't name. And he used these words. He said, up until very recently, very recently, that was where the alarm bells went off, this was possibly the worst church name in Melbourne. And I started thinking to myself, we could be in with a shot here. <laughs> so I posted a comment and I said, I'm just excited to see if Follow Baptist Church gets a mention and if nothing else, it'll be great free advertising. And he didn't uh, leave my concerns because he responded by saying, you'll just have to wait and see Luke Williams. <laughs> and so I thought, this is legit. We're in with a real shot to be named the worst named church in Melbourne before we even start. I started visualising business cards and promotional flyers, the worst named church in Melbourne. And we could hang our hat on something like that. It would be incredibly exciting. And so I woke up on the day of the big announcement of the worst named church in Melbourne And with a slight bit of disappointment, I found that we didn't even make the top five. (laughs) But you know, in all seriousness, if we had have been named the worst named church in Melbourne, I couldn't care less. Because we unashamedly want to be a church who follow Jesus Christ. And there's no way that will ever happen until he first transforms our lives and he opens our eyes to know him. If we don't have a glorious vision of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, there is no chance that we will serve him with our lives. And so it's so important that we see Jesus for who he is, that we realise who we are because of what he's done in our lives and he becomes our vision in everything that we do. In our vision document that you can grab at the back after the service, you'll find that our first DNA point is that we are Christ-centred. Christ is the reason that we exist. He is the centre of all that we do and all that we are as a church because he is the way, he is the truth and he is the life. Today I want to unpack the passage that Rowan read for us a few moments ago because I really think that if we're going to follow Jesus with everything, we need to fully understand that he is who he says he is, that he is actually the way, he is actually the truth, he is actually the life. And so we're going to examine this extraordinary claim that he makes in John chapter 14, verses 1 to 8, where Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. And so first of all, he says, I am the way. Who here has a GPS? Three people in this whole room have a GPS. I think there's a lot of people that aren't being honest this morning. Most of us have GPSs, whether it's a GPS or it's on our phone. And I've got to be honest and transparent on the day one of a new church up the front here, and I want to tell you that I have the navigational skill of a puppy. (laughs) I wander around aimlessly, I always end up lost, and I always end up where I'm not meant to be. In fact, I've worked out recently that if I think I should go right, if I actually go left, I will usually end up in my destination without exaggerating one little bit. And so for me, it's GPS or bust. I'm putting all my faith in that little device. My, my GPS, my inner one is so shocking that I always get lost. In fact, the other day, I threw my Melways out. I thought I can't use it anyway. For me, a Melways is just as, as much use as the Woman's Day magazine. I won't read it and if I do, it won't help me anyway. And so I might as well just throw it out and put all my faith in that little GPS. And usually it's really good. But if you've got a GPS, you'll probably know that occasionally it has a meltdown. And it's usually when you're in the middle of nowhere. 
And you think, if this thing doesn't come through, you may never see me again. <laughs> and you'll, you'll be driving along trying to find out where you're going and you'll hear those horrible words, rerouting, <laughs> rerouting. And sometimes when it's having a meltdown, it takes a long time to reroute. And so now I'm three k's further in the wrong direction and my dumb GPS is still rerouting and I'm starting to get angry. I shouldn't, but I am. And I'm thinking to myself, if I hear that voice one more time, I'm going to pick it up and I'm going to throw it out the window. And sometimes in my head, I use my Liam Neeson voice from Taken. And I think if you give me the correct directions, that'll be the end of it. But if you don't, I will find that little voice. I will look for you. I will find you and I will kill you. (laughs) Simply responds by saying, rerouting. (laughs) I'm working on my anger. Please pray for me. But it got me to thinking this week, how many people in the world around us are being rerouted in the wrong direction? They're following things that they think will get them to their destination, whatever that may be, but they're only going further and further and further away from Jesus. They're putting their trust in things that they think and hope will bring them fulfilment and joy and peace and happiness. But the more they get of those things they're looking for, the emptier they seem to feel. Just this week we were watching Mrs. Doubtfire for the millionth time. And I can honestly say, even though I've seen it a million times, I had some laugh-out-loud moments. It's a very funny movie. And I'll tell you what makes that movie. Robin Williams, a brilliant actor, incredibly funny, incredibly brilliant and what, at what he did. So funny. Many of us would look at someone like Robin Williams and go, man, he's got it all together. If there's a definition of success, if there's a definition of having it all, then surely Robin Williams would be one of those guys we would look to and go, wow. So much to admire. He's got fame and fortune. He's got family and friends. He's popular. I mean, people right across the world just absolutely love him. And yet it became clear that despite all that he had, it just wasn't enough. It just didn't bring him what perhaps he thought it would. He was lonely, isolated, sad, depressed, ultimately taking his own life. What a waste. What a tragedy. I was, the thing I love about church is sometimes we step into the gap when people are in that place, when they're broken and hurting and struggling as a church, we step in and we reflect Jesus Christ and we make a difference and they find community. And it's one of the things I love about the church, to see people transformed. But the thing is this, that there are many things in this life that will claim to be the way. Fame and fortune, relationships, sex, popularity, even other religions, they grab our attention, they wrestle for our affection Jesus tells a story in Matthew chapter 7. He talks about two ways that we can go in life. He says one is a broad road and it looks really exciting. You know, there's so many promises on that broad road and and most of the world are going down the broad road and, and it looks like there's neon lights and there's promises of joy and fulfillment and happiness and the devil stands at the, the mouth of that broad road and he says, come this way. You can have everything. Come down this road. This is where life is. But Jesus said on the broad road that most people throughout history are travelling down, he said the broad road only leads to destruction. But he says there's another way you can go. He said it's not a broad road. It's more like a narrow path. It doesn't look quite as exciting from the outset. It looks kind of challenging. It looks like there's not many people going down the narrow path. It looks like we'd have to step out in faith to go down that path. 
But Jesus stands at the mouth of that path. He says, I am the way. And if you come down this path, it won't lead to destruction. It will lead to life. But only a few people find it. Jesus said, I am the way. And so what does it mean? What does it mean that Jesus is the way? Well, I think his claim really has a couple of meanings. The first one is this, that he is the way because in his time on earth, he role modelled the way that we should live. In verse 7 of the passage today, he says these words. He says, if you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Jesus is making an extraordinary claim. As we read through the Gospels, we see a man who lived a life without sin. And what we see in Jesus is we see God himself. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says, The Son, Jesus Christ, is the exact radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. And so when we look at the life of Jesus, we're seeing God. And in Jesus' life, he shows us what true humanity should look like and what Adam and Eve would have looked like before they sinned and fell in Genesis chapter 3. But as we look to Jesus' life, not only do we see what true humanity should look like, but we get a glimpse of what the future will be like for us. Jesus himself is a vision of a desired future. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul says that when Christ returns for his people, he says, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, we will be transformed to be made like him. And so in Jesus, we see a vision of our future. But in the meantime, it would be fair to say we wrestle with sin. I mean, I can pretty much guarantee you I won't get through the rest of the day without doing something wrong. Uh, And if, if you do, you're better than me, but I'm sure you're not. I'm sure you'll make mistakes like I make mistakes. We, we try to do the right thing, but we often just seem to gravitate to the wrong things. But in the meantime, as we wrestle with sin, Jesus has set an example for us on how we should live our lives. In him, we see a man who cares for the hurting and the broken. In him, we see a man who loves, who people saw as unlovable people. In Jesus, we see someone who sought to save the lost, someone of incredible mercy unspeakable compassion and kindness, unconditional love, a man who stood for truth, who wasn't afraid to speak up when things were wrong, a man who was a man of justice, a man who was absolutely genuine, a man who was transparent in every way, a man who sacrificed for those around him for their benefit, a man of prayer, a man who listened to his Father in heaven. And so as we look at the life of Jesus, we see the way, that we should live. Interestingly, in Acts chapter 11, we read that in Antioch, for the first time, followers of Jesus were known as Christians. Now, thousands of years later, we still identify as Christians. We call ourselves Christians and we identify in that way. And it's a word that we're all familiar with. But prior to that one mention in scripture of the the followers being called Christians, prior to that and also again after that, they actually weren't known as Christians. They were known as something else. They were referred to as followers of the way. Sometimes they were just called simply the way. And what really stands out to me from this is that people looked at them and straight away they identified them with Jesus. 
Straight away, they knew that they were following in the footsteps of their saviour that had gone before them. Straight away, the characteristics of Jesus' life were so obvious that people knew that they were people of the way. They were followers of Jesus. Sometimes I wonder, how different are we to the world around us? When people look at us, is there anything different about us? I'm not talking about weird, wacky, judgmental different. I'm talking about people who are radical in love, radical in embracing people, radical in reaching out with the good news of the gospel, people that reflect the character and nature of Jesus himself. Are we different or are we just the same except that for two hours on a Sunday morning we sit in church? It's a challenging thought, isn't it, for each and every one of us. I hope and pray that we will become a church community of people that are authentic in our faith and that we are following after the footsteps of our Saviour. But the truth is that we need help. We can't do it by ourselves. As I said before, we seem to gravitate to uh, ourselves. We seem to gravitate to doing the wrong things. And so if we're going to live like Jesus and be like Jesus, then it's clear that we can't do it in our own strength. We need help. We need the Holy Spirit. And the good news is that Jesus said in John chapter 14 that he would send a helper and he would be our guide. He would guide us into all truth and he would point us back to Jesus and he would fill us. The Holy Spirit would be with us and in us. He would change us from the inside out that we would be transformed people, that we would reflect the nature of Christ. And we're promised that when we ask Jesus into our life, we're filled with the Holy Spirit at the point of conversion. And the Bible tells us that with the gift of the Holy Spirit comes a whole lot of fruit in our lives. And the fruits of the Spirit are these. Love, joy, smile, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's what we're filled with. We don't have to try and conjure those things up. God gives them to us. We've just got to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. God help us to be the people that we need to be to make a difference in this community. God help us to be people who genuinely love others. God help us to make a difference. We need you. Holy Spirit, would you fill us afresh today with your power and with your presence that we would be people of love and joy, peace and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Lord, would you help us to be people who are characterised by these incredible things. Jesus is the way because he shows us the way to live. But secondly, he's the way because not only does he show us the way in his life, but he is, in fact, the way himself to relationship with God God the Father. In verse 6 of the passage today, he makes another staggering claim. He says, no one comes to God the Father except through me. It's a pretty exclusive kind of a claim, a pretty bold claim, but we believe it's the truth. Why do we need Jesus to get back into relationship with God? Because ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, we've been separated from God. You saw it in the video this morning. Sin is on our lives. Sin is in our lives and we struggle. And the problem with sin is this, that it forms a barrier between us and a God who's holy and perfect in every way. God the Father hates sin. He can't tolerate it. It's like light and darkness. They do not coexist. And so our sin, which keeps piling up every day, is insurmountable and there's nothing we can do in our own strength, in our own goodness, in our own righteousness to remove that insurmountable obstacle and bring ourselves back into relationship with God. 
But Jesus, on the cross, stretched out his arms and he said, it's finished. And there in that moment, he died in our place. He paid the penalty for the sins that we've committed, all the things that we've done wrong. Jesus took them on the cross and he died the death we deserve to die. And he said, it's finished. And so when we come into relationship with the Lord Jesus, when we respond to the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and accept him as our Lord and Saviour, our sin is taken from us and it's placed on him at the cross. And he says, it's now finished. You are innocent. You're righteous because the penalty's been paid. And the great news about that is that this insurmountable mountain is placed on him where he suffered in our place, meaning that we can once again come back into relationship with God the Father because sin is no longer an obstacle. We're forgiven through the work of Jesus Christ. And so we once again need the Holy Spirit to reroute us back to Jesus. Tim Keller says this, he says, All religions and philosophers say this is the way, but only Jesus says, I am the way. So true. Jesus is the way. He's our vision. Why? Because he's the way. But he's also the truth. He says, I'm the way, I'm the truth. Whether we're Christians or not, it seems that we often seem to be discipled by the world around us more than we are by Jesus. Just being honest, just saying as it is, we're often discipled more by the world around us than we are by Jesus. We watch our movies and our TV shows, we hear from our politicians, we read on Facebook all the opinions of the world around us and we end up being discipled by those things. We sort of marinate in them. We're saturated by them. And it's so easy to gravitate to the opinions of the world, which are so much more popular than the opinions of Jesus at times. And at the same time, as we gravitate to those things, so often we walk away from Christ. Seems like everyone's searching for truth. But for many people, truth has become relative. Well, your truth's your truth, and my truth's my truth, and they're both true, even if they're polar opposites. It seems like most people would say there's no such thing as absolute truth, but I think in this passage, Jesus would disagree. Jesus says, I am the truth. Scripture tells us if we know the truth, the truth will set us free. The thing about truth in our society is it seems to change all the time. If you notice that, it flips and flops. One minute, one thing will be true, and the next minute, something else is true, and It just seems to transition and change. Nothing seems to be sacred. Nothing's permanent. It's all subject to change at any time. But Jesus never changes. His word never changes. He's the same yesterday. He's the same today. He's the same forever. And so when society flips and flops and changes every moment, we don't have to feel uncertain. We don't have to feel shaken by what's going on in the world around us because we have a foundation in Christ that never moves. We can build our life on Jesus because he says, I am the truth. It's powerful stuff. But the other awesome thing about relying on Jesus as the truth in our lives is that in Christ, what he says about us and what he thinks about us also never changes. Have you ever noticed that people's opinions of us change all the time? One minute you can be the best preacher in the world, the next minute you're no good. One minute you can be the best dad in the world, the next minute you're no good. The one, one minute you can be a great friend, then someone's not talking to you. You can be popular, the next second you're unpopular. You can feel appreciated, the next second you can feel unappreciated. And it seems to just change like that. 
And I'll tell you what the problem is with that. That I think the majority of the world around us look at people for validation. They look at people for a sense of security, a sense of safety, a sense of identity. And the problem is that the opinions are changing all the time and so our thoughts about ourselves are changing all the time as we ride the roller coaster of people's opinions. But what Jesus says about you in a relationship with him, it never changes. And so he says, you are forgiven. He says that you are accepted. He says that he loves you unconditionally. He says that you're always secure. He says you're the apple of his eye. He says you're his children. He says we're his friend. Our vision is Jesus. Why? Because he's the truth. And we can bank our life on it. Finally, Jesus says, I am the life. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Scripture tells us that the wages of sin is death. And so when Jesus makes this claim, he says, I'm the exact polar opposite to that. I am life and life abundant. You know, one day each and every one of us, I believe, will stand before the throne of God and will come before Jesus the judge. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us that we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due to us for the things done while here in the body on earth, whether good or bad. And I think when we stand before Jesus one day, there's going to be two questions that we're going to have to answer. The first question is this. Have you ever sinned? Well, I think it doesn't matter whether you're Mother Teresa or Hitler. It doesn't matter whether you're an ISIS terrorist or the Good Samaritan. You can only give one answer. The answer is yes, I have sinned. The Bible tells us that all, fall, all sin and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. The second question we'll have to answer, this time you'll have double the amounts of answers that you can give, double the amount of responses second question is this. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour? I've now got two answers. It's either yes, I have. I've put all my faith, all of my trust, all of my hope in him. I know in him I'm forgiven. I know in him I'm saved. I know in him I have the hope of eternal life. We'll either say, yes, Jesus is my vision, or we'll say no. There's no in-between answers. It's not like, oh, well, I think so. My mum and dad were Christians. Yeah, maybe. It's either yes or it's no. In the passage we read today, Jesus says that he goes before us to prepare a place for us. As Christian men and women, we know that place is heaven. The scripture doesn't tell us heaps and heaps and heaps of details about heaven, but what we do know is this, that it will be a place where all the wrongs are made right, a place where there's no more suffering, no more pain, no more evil, no more Essendon supporters. No, sorry. <laughs> Just snuck that one in. Forgive me. All the wrongs will be made right. It will be a place of perfect peace, a place of endless joy, a place where we will enjoy relationship in the presence of our almighty God who loves us and who saves us through Jesus. And when we stand before Jesus one day, we, can't, we can look to the things of this earth, of this life, but the truth is they won't make a scrap of difference. We can't point 
to our career. We can't list our achievements. We can't point to our own goodness, our own righteousness. We can't list our good deeds. Well, I did this, 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 this and this. We can't rely on our bank account, which is a relief. (laughs) We can only put our trust in Jesus. That's why he must be our vision, individually and as a church. He gives us a picture of a desired future. He's our hope. He's the way. He's the truth. And he is the life. Let's bow our heads and I'd like to close in prayer. I don't always do this, but this morning I I don't know everyone here and... I've talked about Jesus making some incredible claims that he's the way, the truth and the life, that no one comes to relationship with God except through him. And so today I feel a burden to at least give opportunity to people. If you're here today, just while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, if you're here in this place this morning and you've never accepted Jesus Christ, if you uh, believe one day if you'll stand before God, your answer would be no, then today I want to give you opportunity to respond to what God may be doing in your heart this morning because you can leave this place knowing that your answer one day would be yes. He's my vision. Yes, I put my trust in him. Yes, I know I'm forgiven in him. Yes, I know I'm in relationship with God because of Jesus. So when I was looking around this morning, if you're here this morning and you'd like to put your faith in Jesus for the first time or perhaps you've wandered away and you want to come back to him this morning, I'm going to invite you while no one's looking around just to lift up your hand and say, Luke, that's me. At the end of the service today, I'd love to pray for you. And I think this could be the greatest moment in your life. And so if that's you this morning, I just encourage you to lift up your hand and say, Luke, that's me. I'm going to prolong it this morning, but I don't want to skip over it either. Because this is the question and the answer that eternity hinges on. Lord God, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for the encouragement. I thank you for all that you've done for us. Lord, I pray that we would take seriously all that you've said and all that you've done and all that you are. Lord, help us to always keep you at the centre of everything we do, that you would be the centre, that you would be the focus, that you would be the priority, that you would be our vision. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.